punt was Williams. Pass didn't get to him. Here comes Chicago two on one. And the pass. So the first thing I kind of noticed when Pat Kane won the Western Conference Finals with a walk-off hat-trick goal in overtime was that there was a very few hats on the ice. So let me ask you, Don, you're at the game, at the arena here, and your team gets a goal in overtime, hat-trick or not, well, it has to be a hat-trick goal. Let's say <laughs> Vanek gets a hat-trick goal okay. to win the Eastern Conference. You throw in your hat on the ice regardless of whatever hat it is, right? I mean, it could be your lucky hat for yeah. 30 years. I mean, maybe toss that. Maybe because it's overtime, like just the excitement of the moment, it, that part was lost. Like they were thinking more about the win than the hat trick. But yeah, I don't know. Interesting that both conference finals this year were won in overtime. In overtime, yeah. Bergeron and by star players too. Bergeron for Boston with his second series winning overtime goal of the playoffs. Two of the three rounds have been that Boston has won have ended with Bergeron OT winners. And, of course, Kane in Chicago with the overtime goal. Uh, welcome to the Sportscaster Season 3, Episode 15. It's June 11th, 2013. I'm Steve Bennett. Don Russ is in the seat across the way. We have a good show for you today. We're going to do a Stanley Cup preview with a new hockey guest. His name is Sean McIndoo, and he writes for Grantland and also his own blog, Down Goes Brown. And he's going to talk to us about a bunch of little hockey things and also, of course, preview the Stanley Cup. We've never... I know he sound. I know he's new. Like I don't recognize the name, but I'm surprised he's the down goes brown. Yeah, I thought we've had him on before for some reason. No, I never have. But I've uh, definitely read his stuff. Then we've had Grantland hockey guys for on. sure. You know, we've for had sure. Katie Baker on. Maybe and... I've just read his stuff enough. Maybe we just talked about his stuff enough that it sounds familiar. Yeah. So down goes brown. He's going to join us, and also we're going to do something that I know Don and I are excited about, and that's uh, first kind of fantasy football interview with Michael Fabiano. It's June now, mm. and. Um, it's time to start thinking about your leagues, who's going to be in them, when you're going to do a draft sometime right. towards the end of July or August. And the way things fill up, especially weekend days, if you're trying to do it in the weekend in the summer, it's time to really start thinking about that stuff. Uh, so we're going to have Michael Fabiano. We're going to talk some fantasy football with him. Also, we're going to do one last thing. I know, Don, you're looking to talk about some video games, and I might be talk- looking to talk about some Apple stuff later on in the show. Uh, one last push for our Kickstarter product project in the book club update and we're going to start things off with three things let's play a game all right count of three one all righty i'll take it off two the oil patterns on a pba lane are very very difficult three i might be able to beat jamarcus russell at quarterback (laughs) (laughs) this is the funnest night ever (laughs) did we just become best friends yep now let's move on to other business so as we sat here a week ago, the NBA was down to two. And as we set off the top, the NHL is now down to two. Let's start with the NBA as we're going to share our first thing with an NBA-NHL playoff update as we've been doing for most of the playoff season. The Spurs got off to a good start one game one, despite the fact that LeBron James had a triple-double. And uh, the Spurs got out, got their split. The Heat looked really good in the second half of game two. To win and even the series. And now we go to San Antonio for three games. 
Not too like in the NHL. The NBA does a 2-3-2 in the finals, which is kind of interesting because that's the only round that they do a 2-3-2 is the finals. Yeah, that's uh, So three games in San Antonio, and I guess if you want to see the Heat win, you're hoping that they can get two wins in San Antonio. Obviously, if they get three, they're going to win it without having to go back sure, to Miami. right, right. But you'd like to see them get the two and uh, at least go back to Miami with with the lead. But if they get one, they can go back to Miami regardless of what happens in the other games. So I ask you, Don, as I always kind of ask you when we get to situations like this, has this matchup, has this series brought you to the TV for even one second of NBA Finals action yet? It has not. Um, through no fault of the NBA's, if I was into the NBA, this is the matchup I think that everybody wanted to see. Um, it doesn't help that I'm on vacation right now, and I just haven't been in front of the TV much in general. But no, it hasn't. But um, I, if I had to predict out the future, I think I will probably watch some of it. The longer point. it goes, the more likely sure. you are oh, yeah, to for sure. For some, which is generally the way it goes, too. I mean... If you're a league looking to do big, big ratings in the finals, you want it to go six or seven games. Right. Of all those the, are the series that draw. Of all the NHL series, maybe with the exception of the uh, Pens-Bruins that I somehow managed to see all of, even though it wasn't a very good series. Uh, the fact that those were blowouts these last two rounds, just I mean, that's not great for ratings necessarily. Or for interest, anyway. Well, something that is great for ratings is a Blackhawks-Bruins Stanley Cup final. I'm sure Gary Bettman's very pleased. Right. I still think he might have rather have had Pittsburgh a little bit, but based on the market sizes of Chicago and Boston, both being top 10 markets in the United States, there's nothing wrong with this matchup at all. And there's an argument to be made and one that I wouldn't fight too bad that this really is the best matchup that was out there when it got down to four. So what, what things about this series kind of interest you without having seen a game yet? What what do you want to see play out? Well, I feel like Chicago is very similar to Pittsburgh in style of play. They're going to want to outscore you. Uh, so what I'm most interested to see is if Boston can do it again. Sort do of. it again. I mean, one of the quietest players in that last series was Sidney Crosby was just totally invisible. Malkin had flashes. I mean, he had a couple posts and stuff like that. I mean, obviously you'd like him to score more too. Well, neither of them got a point. Right. Right. I mean, the team only had two goals the whole series. Right. But when Matt Cook is maybe the guy you notice the most on the ice on your team while going losing four games to none, uh, that's not good. So it'll be interesting to see if they can do the same thing to Chicago or if Chicago just – does what they do and don't pay attention and try to stay away from the physical stuff a little bit. At least they're guys like Kane, Taves. Tried. I don't know. Right from game one, I don't know what. I don't understand what Crosby and Malkin were doing. Yeah, well, this the way that the Penguins played in those first two games, they kind of eliminated themselves right there. Right. They didn't start playing until they were in Boston, down two games to none, and then that game goes to overtime, and both even teams then, have right. chances, and you just you don't get the goal, and that's yeah, it. Even it's in done. that game, you only score one goal. It's not how you're going to beat Boston in close games. But as far as this series, I think that's a good point. Can Boston shut down Taves and Kane the way they shut down Malkin and Crosby? That'll be interesting. Also, be interesting. Can Crawford be equal Rask? Can he be as good as Rask, or will Boston kind of get some separation or advantage at that spot? I'm also curious to see which one of the guys that maybe have been a little quiet in the playoffs so far, like 
Maybe for Boston, it's a Sagan. Maybe for Chicago, yeah. it's a Taves. Can one of these guys, we've seen Kane kind of emerge a little bit towards the end of the conference finals. Can one of the guys who haven't had the best playoffs yet kind of play, have been saving their best hockey for the end here? But I'm really excited about the series. I think if I had to pick it, I would, I'm going to go Chicago in six because I, I don't have a great reason, but I, I just think that they, I've, they've been my team the whole year, so I'm just going to stick with them and say Chicago in six. Yeah, I know it's amazing that uh... – or I know the game changes when it comes to playoff times, but the Sabres were actually really successful against Boston this year, and they're a team that, that wasn't successful against anybody Yeah, the anybody teams they were the best year. again were Chicago and Montreal, who were the one and two. The Boston and Montreal. Montreal. Boston and Montreal, yeah. Right. So something about what I've seen, I've seen the Bruins in those and then in the playoffs, and it's like two totally different teams. So it's it's a matter of can Chicago make the Bruins kind of play like they did in the regular season against teams that were maybe more skill-oriented teams like the Sabres in uh, in this finals. I think they can. I think I don't think their leaders like Kane and Taves try to pretend that they're they're not going to they're not going to get in fights like Malkin did. They're not going to get in shoving matches with Chara the way the way Crosby did. I'd like to say that I mean I hope skill plays out here. I don't want it to be where Boston just beats everyone up on the way to the playoffs. I'm sure people from Boston love that, and if that was my team, I'd love it. But I think skill ultimately wins out. And, uh, yeah, I'll say Chicago. I mean, they're the home team, right? Yeah. I'll say Chicago in five. Chicago in five. Wow. Yeah. Gutsy pick. You know, it'll be interesting. Another thing I think I'll be watching a little bit, besides the stars, I want to see the stars, is also – these are teams that have been there and done that pretty recently, you know. So nobody has a big edge in experience. One thing I will say is Chicago is significantly out hit by LA, and Boston is definitely a team that can throw their body around. And so it'll be interesting to see if they can get an edge in that area. I guess that's the type of thing though that I'm I'm kind of saying is they're probably going to be significantly out hit by Boston too. But they they kind of dominated LA. I mean, there was LA had a few overtime or was it two overtime games? No, it was five. They went, they went to five, to five yeah. right. I think they might have – I don't remember how their win came about. But, uh, I mean, they won in five, getting significantly out here. Right. So just – that's not their style. Uh, maybe when they had guys like Bufflin and stuff, maybe that was more their style to bash a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I don't I don't see it. Games one and two of the cup final are in NBC, then three and four on the NBC Sports Network, and then five, six, and seven as needed are back on NBC. So – and the NBA Finals could be over by, say, Game 3 or 4 of the Cup, and they'll be the last playoffs standing. And if they get a 6- or 7-game series, we could see the best NHL ratings really we've we've ever seen before. So Yeah, probably. All right, my second thing today, the French Open completed over the weekend, the second major on the tennis major calendar. And an interesting thing, the reason I wanted to bring it up is – Nadal is the winner for the men, and there's probably not an argument to be made for anyone else in terms of the best clay court, clay court player of all time. I think Nadal has clearly emerged as that. And on the other side, the women's bracket was won by Serena Williams, who many people are beginning to make an argument that she is the best female play- player on any surface. Um, now that she has multiple wins on every in every major, this was her second Who's the non-Serena uh, argument? Uh, maybe Navratilova, Steffi Graf, Graf. Navrat- Navratilova, yeah. 
So definitely an interesting time for tennis. Uh, a classic semifinal match between Nadal and Djokovic. That was one in five sets by Nadal. Really a great, great match there. And I wonder if with these great players playing, does it... I always ask you this because I know that you're a little bit more of a casual sports fan than I am. And I just wonder what brings people to the TV. Is tennis getting on your radar at all? Are you interested to see what Nadal or Serena do at Wimbledon as we get later into the summer and then ultimately the U.S. Open? I do end up watching tennis sometimes. I can't remember. What's their what's their big, big event? It's the U.S. Open, right? Well, their big, big event is probably Wimbledon. Wimbledon but right. here, the U.S. Open is a big, big event. I'll usually get to those because they're played on the weekend, right? The finals. Yeah. So, I mean, afternoon, weekend. Well, breakfast at Wimbledon is a big kind of a right. thing for tennis. So, I mean, and I did see actually some of that semifinal match you were talking about. So I, it's not appointment television. It's kind of like the horse races to me, but if I happen to remember they're on, I will watch them over reruns of full house or something. So yes, I mean, if I, if, if they're on and the wife enjoys tennis too, casually so if it's on it's something we both can kind of agree on golf is not ever that with her so right but i'll talk about that in a second perfect uh my second thing this week tim tebow uh has been signed by the patriots to a two-year contract uh circus so yes the circus has begun first of all the zero guaranteed money so the patriots know what they're doing obviously in case anyone wasn't sure uh he's not going to snow them or anything like that uh, they're not going to get wrapped up in a bad contract he can be cut at any point just like anybody else asked today about why they did it or what he was kind of typical bill belichick uh we're just trying to improve the team blah 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 he's going to play quarterback like there's no I think the reporter that asked the question was almost trying to get, like, are you trying to start a media circus for some reason? I, I don't, I don't know what they expected Belichick to say about that. Like, why he, what, what is he going to say? Yes, we wanted to bring attention to our camp. That's just not Belichick's style. I don't get the signing, but if anyone's going to use, I bet he scores two touchdowns against the Bills at some point this year if they're going to use him. Some. When I first heard it, I thought, well, that, I wonder if this is insurance for Gronkowski and. Hernandez, who have oh. both had surgeries. But then, the, as the day played out, everyone is so adamant that Tebow is not going to accept right. any position other than quarterback, which seems so silly to me. I mean, if you I, have a yeah. chance to have a great NHL or NFL, NFL career as a some kind of an H-back or a tight end, I don't know why you wouldn't do that. Yeah, I don't know. And you're not going to be a starter under any circumstances. No. And when Michael Vick was available a few years ago, the Patriots are real adamant about saying at no point will we ever take Tom Brady off the field to do any kind of wild. Okay, right, things. right. He's never going to make a play. And the Patriots already have Ryan Mallett. So I wonder if this is anything more than a warm body at camp. And maybe a guy who you can use on your scout team to simulate some of the offenses that other teams around the league are maybe are running. Maybe. You know, is he maybe a they guy don't love Mallett? Can, I don't know. I mean I don't Mallet seems like he's. I mean, Mallet's a guy Tebow could beat out. I mean, I don't know much about Mallet as an NFL right. prospect. I know more about Tebow as an NFL quarterback than I do Mallet. Right, Ryan Mallet from a Buffalo Bills fan's perspective sounded after the draft a little bit like a JP Lossman, just like a an athletic guy with a big arm. And so I don't know anything about his brains or his readiness or anything like that. So yeah, maybe I I can't see them. I could see him being cut. I could see him being yeah. the backup there. I could still even see them talking him into 
getting on the Maybe field. Maybe that's if, all it is. I mean, they're the Patriots. They think they can make – they've taken on guys with – I mean, I wouldn't call Tebow troubled by any means. He doesn't have any off-the-field issues. But they've taken on guys like Moss that they thought they could fix, Chad Johnson – guys that were worth the risk so maybe this to them is like well and those guys have mainly behaved in those situations right so maybe it's definitely a stable locker room and maybe like you said with the success they've had with those types of guys maybe they figure well we can we can talk him into seeing our vision of like you said an h-back or a tight end type position the other thing bill's cut uh real quick Tavares jackson today yeah, that was kind of strange to me. The Especially, whole Tavares Jackson saga was kind of strange here in Buffalo. Never touched the field. Uh, never even got. Did he even get a uniform? I wonder. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and in OTAs, he was getting more reps than the rookie quarterback they drafted in the first round, who has the potential to be a starter. And it's like, okay, so they're splitting the reps between the vets, and then Manuel's coming in as the next guy. And then you get rid of one of the vets. I guess maybe they all along wanted to make this decision as early as possible. Yeah. What vet they were going to go forward so that the two guys could get as many reps as possible. Maybe they never wanted to have three quarterbacks battling. No, and I don't think you want to do the th- He's not going to be – you're not going to pay three quarterbacks. Not that Manuel makes a ton or uh, – Well, it's the roster spot more than the pay. Right. You'd much rather have maybe a sixth or seventh receiver than a third quarterback. And maybe you figure you know what you have in – Tavares Jackson, him being the most senior of all the players there, whereas the Bills drafted some other kid. I don't even remember his name. So maybe this says more about what they see in this third kid. I can't remember what his name is, like Tool or something, like T-U-E-L. I think it's Large. First name Large, last name Large Tool. Tool. Yeah. It could be. Jess Tool. Jess Tool. So... Maybe they see some upside in this kid and would rather get him the reps than a Tavares Jackson where you probably know pretty much what you got. I mean, you might even have upside in Kevin Cobb, maybe. I mean, he's played a handful of games behind terrible lines. I think the way it's played out so far with those two vets getting as many reps as they did in OTAs, that the Bills said, let's make this decision early about which veteran quarterback we're going to go forward with so that when it comes time to the important reps in training camp, we have two guys that are getting the majority of them instead right. of three. So it, maybe it makes more sense than it did when I initially saw the move on Twitter. Yeah, and the last, real quick, last thing again about the Bills is Jim Kelly is recovering. Yeah, well. I guess surgery went well. We yep. mentioned that last time. So good for Jim. All right, my third thing this week is it's U.S. Open Week in golf. Again, the second major on the golf calendar. Big story so far. And this is in Philadelphia, outside of Philadelphia somewhere this week. And... Um, Starts Thursday, obviously Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, like most majors. And the big story so far to come out of there is that Tiger Woods and Sergio Garcia have apologized in some way. Um, Sergio Garcia said there hasn't been time for an apology for the Spanish star's fried chicken comment from three weeks ago. These guys just don't like each other. They had some problems when they were paired up. With Garcia sort of making some, or Woods making some noise with the gallery that was watching him before yeah, yeah. Garcia had hit. And then Garcia made some kind of fried chicken comment, which always can be real sensitive. <laughs> right. uh, no, we didn't discuss anything, just came up and said hi, and that was it, Woods said. Uh, Garcia asked if Garcia apologized to Woods. Woods said, It's already done. We've already gone through it all. It's time for the US Open, and we tee up in two days. So it seems like these two guys. Don't want to buy into the hoopla, the media of the rivalry. They just want to try to win a major, which 
neither of them have done in a long time, especially Woods, who's been sitting on his number of majors for a long time now, since before his dreadful Thanksgiving, which led to just a really bizarre and dreadful period in his dominant career. And, um, you know, so it'll be interesting to see whether it's one of the young guys, whether it's Woods or Mickelson who emerges this weekend. But the U.S. Open is always one of the best best golf courses. Another story has been that there's been a lot of rain there, and that's softening the course. Uh, so we'll see how that kind of plays out, and we'll see what the pairings are, and we'll see uh, over the weekend who, who comes out on top. And I think next week we're going to have to track Damon down. Yeah, and uh, see what he thinks uh, halfway through the major schedule for golf. I think the only reason this is still, a st- I mean, these guys don't like each other. They've always been kind of rivals. Uh, it's just, it's just trash talk. But I think a in golf, it's kind of a little more gentlemanly sport. Like if this was hockey, it'd be nothing, except for the fact that they also kind of brought race into it, which uh, never flies all that well. But. Yeah, I mean, it almost keeps Tiger. Not that Tiger being Tiger wouldn't keep him in the spotlight, but his, I know, his game really hasn't. I know we'll be out to dinner Sunday, some point for Father's Day, but I'll definitely look forward to around after dinner coming home and watching the end of this, and hopefully there'll be a couple guys coming down the last few holes with a chance to win it. Yeah, I pull for Tiger. I don't know why. Maybe just for the good of golf, because golf's better when he's good, but... Golf is always better when he's involved. That's for right, sure. right. I root for him. I don't ultimately root for him to win, but I root for him to be in be the in mix. It, right. You know, because it's always more exciting when he when he's there. But yeah. All right. My last thing this week. Uh, my aunt Debbie, who had lived in Florida, she had cancer. She's recovering from cancer now. Had her husband uh, pass away, kind of untimely. Through all this, has <clears throat> apparently written a book which is available on Amazon. It's called Chemotherapy. Is this stuff really legal? It is a... It's billed as fictional. Uh, It stars a character, a 47-year-old breast cancer survivor with a different name from hers, but uh, the same initials. She doesn't go by Aunt Debbie in the book? No. No. uh, It's Diana Heidecker is the uh, protagonist of the book, and I guess it's humorous. Uh, She said it's sports related because the bills are mentioned several times in the book oh. I asked her if she blamed the bills for her cancer she said no but uh, I told her if I ever get cancer I will blame the bills <laughs> but uh, yeah if you want to check out a book that some of my uncles have read so they're not the, the best or the least biased uh, people to review the book but they have said it's great it's really funny she's always been a lady that at parties uh, would do creative things like they would do roasts of my grandparents and stuff like that she's always been really funny so i'm sure the book is no different uh chemotherapy is this stuff really legal it's like four dollars for the kindle copy so check it out if that interests you at all and having been someone who's gone through some health issues even recently i know that one thing you really need on your side to get through it is a sense of humor yeah and she definitely has that uh she'll be moving home soon actually and uh we ran out of music so yeah check that out if you want to All right, we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back and preview the Stanley Cup Finals with Sean McIndoo from Down Goes Brown. Our next guest writes from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, and is the popular humorist at downgoesbrown.com. 
He also writes for Grantland and the National Post in Canada. In September, he released his first book, The Best of Down Goes Brown. He is a diehard Toronto Maple Leafs fan and is making his first appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Sean McIndoe. Did I say that right? I was just to ask you before if it was McIndoe. I just kind of took a guess. Uh, it's uh, you're you're pretty close. You're you're better than most people get. It's Mac and Do. Oh, Mac and Do. Ah. I actually asked. I have uh, Saber season tickets, and uh, the guy behind me comes down from. Let me see how I get this right. He comes down from. Uh, I don't want to say Burlington. That's where Corey Conacher's from, right? Yeah. I I don't know. It's somewhere near there, and uh, I I went. I got the. Uh, Can- I asked him for the Canadian pronunciation, and that's what he speculated. But we were close. Not bad. Yeah, so thanks a lot for doing the show today. Excited to have you on. First thing i got to ask you is what level of recovery have you reached from uh, Game 7 or Round 1 as a Maple Leafs fan? If yeah, I- it, it, the recovery is going very slowly. Let's, let's put it that way. It's, I'm, I'm getting good at forgetting, uh, and you know I, I can function normally uh, for pretty good stretches of time as long as I don't think too much about it, but... Uh, uh, obviously, anytime, uh, any any sort of reminder is is a tough one, and uh, and uh, with the Bruins still uh, going deep into the playoffs, obviously it's kind of hard to uh, to avoid that. And I find it even uh, even when I'm watching a game between two completely different teams, when it gets to the third period and one team's got the lead, and it gets starts ticking down at that time when it's time for the goalie to come out, I just I go into flashback mode. It's uh, it's it's difficult. I I, I think it's uh, it's going to be a long time before. Uh, before I can watch a game like that and uh, not have the flashbacks. I want to talk to you about the Cup, but before we get into that, I want to ask you a couple things about the site. Um, first off, what is it about the way you write or the things you write about that makes you classify yourself as a humorist as opposed to a blogger? Well, I mean, I, I'm both. I, I would never uh, try to claim that I, that I wasn't a blogger. I mean, that's that's sort of first and foremost. And uh, what happened in, in my case is like most people who start off blogging, you, you kind of start off without any actual plan or, or any idea of, of what you want to do with it. Uh, or maybe you have an idea in the back of your head of the kind of stuff you'd like to do, but it ends up not being uh, something that, that really seems to connect with any kind of audience. And in my case, uh, I tried a variety of things, and I, I tried writing a, a bunch of different styles, and I found that whenever I kind of uh, slid into the, the humor mode, that's when uh, I really seem to get a reaction and when, when people seem to, to enjoy the most. So uh, I've, I've sort of stuck with it over the years, and it's kind of become my... Uh, uh, you know, my, my little niche, or at least my, my part of a niche that not too many people are doing right now. You know, it seems like Grantland does a great job with its scouting department in the Great White North. I mean, we have Tass Mellis on the show all the time from the Basketball Jones, who's up in Toronto, and you've been providing some columns for Grantland from Ottawa. How did the opportunity with Grantland come about? Uh, I started with Grantland uh, just on a very occasional basis. I guess it was about a year and a half ago. It wasn't wasn't right when they had launched. They just had their two year uh, uh, anniversary, and it, it was uh, I guess the hockey season following that. I, I got uh, they got in touch with me, uh, and I think it was through Katie Baker, who was their main uh, hockey writer, uh, and just asked if I'd like to chip in occasionally. At the time, I was doing the blog stuff. I had. Uh, uh, I had some commitments to a newspaper up here. I was working a full-time job, so I didn't have a ton of time. But I was a big fan of the site, and you know, I thought it'd be a fun uh, opportunity. So I, I, I did 
you know maybe one post a month for uh, for a little while there, and then uh, uh, obviously a lot of that uh, kind of slowed down during the lockout, like it did in most places. Uh, and right around the time the lockout ended, I suddenly found myself freed up with uh, a lot more time to do writing than uh, than I had had in the past, and and they were interested in. Uh, in seeing a little bit more uh, of my work, and I was uh, interested in in doing a little bit more, and it's just sort of grown from there, and uh, to you know to the point now where I'm uh, usually on there two or three times a week, and it's uh, uh, you know as as I suspected, it's been a ton of fun so far. I wanted to ask you about the CHL. What are your thoughts about them? I guess basically instituting a rule that says that no goalies from anywhere but North America will be allowed to play in the Quebec. Ottawa or Western Hockey Leagues next year? Yeah, I, I haven't seen it, to be honest with you, even though it's been in the news a little bit. I haven't seen the final rule. I know what they were discussing uh, at one point was the, 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 the concern was that you've got these Canadian junior teams uh, that are drafting European goalies. And for that reason, we haven't really seen the kind of development uh, of Canadian goalies that we used to. I mean, remember back in the days where it was Patrick Waugh, Grant Fuhr, Martin Broder, you name it, all the best goalies seem to be Canadian. And that's really dried up over the years. But the, the concern, I don't think, uh, was so much that, hey, we can't have Europeans coming over in the CHL because the Europeans of, of all positions uh, get to come over. It was that teams were starting to bring over these European goalies uh, who were overage. So, you know, clearly, if you've got a choice between, you know, a, a, a European goalie who's got, some, who's got a few years of experience under his belt, maybe he's in his low 20s, versus, you know, a 17-year-old uh, Canadian kid who you've got to develop, well, if you're trying to win right now, you're probably going to go for that European kid. So my understanding of the rule is that they, it wasn't so much a blanket ban as they were trying to, to minimize some of that drafting that the teams were doing. And I know at least the one version I saw it was just going to be a ban on uh, first-round drafts or you know something like that. So they were going to try to stem this flow of, of, uh, of all of these teams preferring to have these overage goalies who, who really weren't even necessarily NHL prospects, but just had a few years of extra development. Uh, and and try to make sure that there's at least some Canadian goalies out there who are who are getting an opportunity to develop in in one of the best development leagues in the world. Do you think that this rule ultimately, whatever it comes to be, will help um, Canadian goalies, or do you think it will just kind of what I've noticed, like from the reaction initially, is there's just been a lot of negative, a lot of negative reaction to it in terms of oh Canada, you know can't stand the fact that maybe there's better goalies from another part of the world or something along those lines. Maybe not yeah, I mean, word it, that it, the best. It's definitely been a bad PR move. There's there's no question that the reaction uh, both in Canada and outside has, has been mostly negative to it. And uh, uh, you know, as far as whether it will help, uh, I don't think it's going to solve the problem. I, I don't think that the the issue they've identified, if it even is an issue at all, is is the primary one that's that's leading to uh, this this kind of decline in Canadian goaltending. And uh, you know, frankly, uh, at least some of this, I think, you can just sort of chalk up to random chance and say, look, hey, I mean, some uh, sometimes you're going to be particularly strong in a position one generation and and not in the other, and uh, maybe we just came off a. Uh, I, uh, you know, a decade or so, we're really spoiled in the the talent that uh, uh, that Canada was putting out there. Now you look around; the the Europeans seem to be better. The Americans seem to be better when it comes to to gold. Is that because they're developing uh, better than Canada is, or is it because because one of those flukes of uh, of 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 the the flips of the coin is that they're they happen to be producing a little bit more right now? We've seen this in the past with Canada. 
there were time in the 90s where they weren't winning the World Juniors and they were struggling a little bit in some of the major international competitions and there were all sorts of symposiums and meetings and committees and all of this stuff to, to figure out why Canada had, would seem to be losing its place at the top of the hockey world and then you know, a few years later, along comes Sidney Crosby, uh, you know, the, the Joe Sacks of the world develop into the elite players, and suddenly it doesn't seem like that big an issue anymore, and you kind of look back and go, oh, well, what were we all so worried about? So it could end up being that same sort of thing. This issue might help, this, this rule change might help, but I think if it helps, it's going to be very minor. Well, you know, one last thing on this, and we'll get to the cup. It seems like, you know, if you're a 17, 18-year-old prospect, there's so many avenues. There's so many different roads you can take. You know, you can go... USHL, NCAA college hockey, the Yale national championship team had a Canadian goalie from Calgary this year. You know, you the two best United States goalies are both guys who played college hockey and Ryan Miller and Jonathan Quick. You know, then there's the CHL route. You know, there's Europeans can stay in Europe, play in the KHL. There's so many different roads that, you know, I don't know that saying we're going to keep this one guy out of this road really is going to solve anything necessarily. Yeah, no, I mean, and and you're right, and the 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 very best goalies will still find a place to play eventually. But I, I do think they're they're at least trying to recognize that when you've got a league like the CHO, which is kind of an interesting spot because it's it's a development league in the sense that it's a junior league, uh, and uh, clearly it's it's a major feeder league for the NHL. But it's not a league that's got affiliations. It's not like the AHL or AAA baseball or something where you can go to a team and say, it is your job. We don't. If you win, that's great, but we don't care about winning and losing. We need you to develop young players for us. That's not the relationship that you have with a, you know, a league like the OHL. Uh, they're trying to win first and foremost. And, you know, when you've got, if you've got a 16-year-old forward who you think can develop into an elite player, uh, even if he's not ready to be on the first line right away, you can play him some second-line minutes, third line, get him on the second power play unit, maybe late in games you get him smart. You can ease him in a little bit over the first year or two and develop him to the point where uh, when he's ready to be a superstar in his age 18 or 19 year before he's drafted or maybe the year after he's drafted and he comes back, you can really reap that reward and you've got a star player and it's worth it for the teams to do that. Versus with goalies, I mean, it's it's a little bit tougher. If you've got a guy who can play at a high level, He's going to be starting the vast majority of your games, and that uh, uh, that 16 or 17 year old kid who might have the potential to develop into a star is going to have a tough time cracking the lineup. Right, that's a great point. Kind of like uh, the stud down in Erie this year, younger kid, one of the what? What is he? The third guy who's gotten the exemption to play at the age he played at in the yep. in the OHL. You know, he can play like you said, second or third line minutes. Where you know, goaltender getting starting minutes, he might choose to go to the the USHL to know that he can play. 45 games that year as opposed to maybe only playing 15 as a backup in the O. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think they're, they're just trying to change the incentives uh, uh, a little bit for some of these teams and uh, and nudge them towards a point where maybe it makes a little more sense to, again, not necessarily to say that you got to have a Canadian kid uh, and you can't have someone from any other nationality, but just saying that, you know, at the very least, uh, let's try to have uh, let, let's try to have these guys competing against uh, peers in their own age group versus uh, potentially overage guys who might come in and uh, and, uh, and take a job away from them. What this last thing, and we'll get to the cup. The as far as we we talk about the NHL mostly on this show, but what other hockey do you really enjoy to watch? Are you a big junior guy? Do you get into college hockey at all? You know, what are the other kinds of hockey that you enjoy watching other than the NHL? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm primarily an NHL guy, to be really honest with you. I okay. don't get to see a lot of college, and uh, uh, you know, I do follow the AHL stuff, but primarily just as it relates to the, the NHL teams that I'm following. Uh, I, I'll be honest, I don't watch a ton of junior during the year. I do love watching the uh, 
uh, both the international stuff as well as uh, the Memorial Cup. I, I every time I watch, uh, I sit down and watch Memorial Cup. I find myself wishing that I watched more junior during the year because it it really does feel like the type of hockey I grew up with, which is to say. Uh, the type of hockey where you had the, the skill and excitement, but you also had guys making mistakes. Not everyone had every defensive system drilled into their brain so much that uh, uh, that every trap was played perfectly and every penny, penalty kill was done exactly the way the coach wanted it. And it, you know, hockey is a sport where mistakes and gaps lead to excitement. Now, you know, I always find those games really entertaining. They're higher scoring. Uh, there's a lot more emotion. There's uh, at times a lot more of the the hitting and the rough stuff and all of that. So. Uh, you know, I, I, I kind of wish I could say that I watch more of it because whenever I do sit down and watch uh, uh, specifically the Canadian junior stuff, it just uh, I, I find myself really enjoying it. Whenever I don't have a dog in the fight, the thing that I tend to root for the most is what is best for the NHL because I really do care about the success of the league for whatever reason. And it seems like the matchup that they have and the ratings that it's drawing, the, the conference finals have drawn in the certain cities, it seems like maybe... I thought going into it that Pittsburgh-Chicago would be the dream matchup, but maybe in retrospect, this really is the matchup that will move the needle the most in the United States and really be the best thing for the NHL. What do you think about that? It, it really could. I mean, once they got the Final Four that they got, they, they were really in a no-lose situation. I, I always, uh, every year, when you get, especially when you get down to the Final Four, it, it always seems like you're left with one great matchup, a couple that'd be okay, and then one where you're going, oh, no one's going to want to watch that one. And usually Murphy's Law kicks in, and that's the matchup that you get. Uh, I mean, you look at last year where they had a chance to get New York and L.A., and instead, you know, they did get L.A., but they got L.A. and New Jersey, which was a team that you know, probably not a ton of people were all that interested in. And, and you go back, you know, years before that, a lot of times, they haven't been getting those those great matchups, but uh, this year they they couldn't go wrong because uh, whatever matchup you you were going to wind up with is going to be a great one, and uh, this one's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, you know, two great hockey markets, two two big TV markets, which obviously is important. Uh, and uh, you know, the fact that these are two teams that have been good for a lot of years, there's a lot of familiarity. There's uh, there there's uh, not a, a huge amount of turnover on the teams from their Stanley Cup years. Uh, as far as the star players, obviously the you know the sheer numbers of guys who come and go on a roster is is pretty high, especially on the Chicago side. But uh, you know we we recognize the names and it's uh, and and not only that, but this year with the lockout, you got a little bit of intrigue of of not really knowing how uh, how these teams are going to match up. We right. haven't seen the conferences go against each other, so uh, who knows? You know, I remember the last time the league was in this situation in '95. And we had Detroit and New Jersey, and everybody was ready to hand the cup to Detroit because they thought they were the way better team, and the West was the way better conference. And New Jersey sweeps. Sometimes you get uh, you get surprises, so I don't. It's uh, it's going to be interesting to to watch and sort of see uh, uh, which way this one goes. I'm having a hard time kind of separating these two teams. When you look back at their playoff run so far, I mean, each team has been, had their back against the wall and had to come back in their own way. Uh, each team has had a really, really dominant round, and that was happened to be the last one. Both teams looked really fantastic in the last round. Um, I, I don't know. I almost, I, I've kind of felt like Chicago was the best team all year, and I think Patrick Kane getting going a little bit at the end of that series, and and Taves getting going a little bit is really something that no other team can say. Hey, we've gotten this far without our two best players really playing at the top level yet. But the way Boston has played with the goaltending and the way their defense can can smother you, I, I don't know. I'm almost leaning towards Boston a little bit. How do you how do you find some separation between these two teams? Yeah, I mean it it, it is tough, and uh, you're right on on Chicago. I mean, obviously being a 
uh, a Leaf fan who's located in Ottawa, I, I see a lot more of Boston than I do Chicago. But I, I really feel like Chicago's such a, a solid team, top to bottom. Uh, and the year that they had and the playoffs they've had, they probably should be the prohibitive favorite going in. And uh, I suspect that what we're seeing, there's, there's a little bit of human nature that nobody ever likes to pick the number one seed to be their uh, eventual champ. So uh, there, there's always this kind of uh, desire to pick, if not an underdog, then at least somebody who's uh, uh, you know a little bit below that number one spot. So there, there might be some hesitance to, to really give Chicago full credit to, that they deserve because uh, it just seems so boring. You, you feel like you're not going to get any credit for it. Uh, but, you know, where, where the separation comes, it, to my mind, it, it, I, you mentioned it, it's it's the goaltending. And, yeah. uh, again, this might be the Leaf fan in me talking, but uh, Tuka Rask is a guy who just can, can give you nightmares. He, I really feel like he's developed into one of the, the, the very elite goalies in the league. And you match him up with, with Corey Crawford, a guy who is playing like an elite goalie and, and seems like he's one of those guys who may never get that, uh, uh, you know, that sort of credit that he deserves, just because of the way that the goaltending situation works in Chicago. But, uh, it, you know, if I had to, if I had to bet, just looking at the overall strength of the roster, I'm looking at Chicago and going, that's a, that's a slightly better team, and and I'd make them the favorites. But if I got to pick one guy uh, who's going to make the difference in the series and and maybe tilt it all on his own, then it's uh, Tuka Rask is the, is the guy that would scare me if I'm a Chicago fan. You know, an interesting thing about this series is that some being two teams who have recently won cups, so many of the superstars on the team have accomplished almost everything in the game. You know, there's Taves has won a gold medal and a Stanley Cup, and Kane has won a cup, and on the other side, you know, Chara has won a cup, and Bergeron is the same as Taves with a cup and a gold, and these guys have had success at juniors. You know, so many guys on the teams are so accomplished. Is it really the goalies who have the most to gain in terms of having a great performance in this series? Yeah, I mean, it could be. I, I you know, I, I kind of made the joke in one of my posts today that I, I'm not sure that uh, from from Crawford's perspective, he's got that much to gain. And you look at what happened the last time Chicago won the Stanley Cup, and uh, uh, you know, they rode a hot goalie all the way, uh, won won their cup rings, and then said, "Okay, see you later," and uh, off you go to San Jose. So I, uh, you know, he, he I don't know if if he's got it to prove or if he's uh, uh, if he's uh, wondering uh, how long they'll they'll keep him around once he gets it won, but yeah, certainly it, Tuka Rask is a guy that he's he's been in that shadow of Tim Thomas even the year where that he was the starter before this year, and uh, he would he would certainly uh, I mean I think he's he certainly stepped out of the shadow already, but he'd he'd obliterate it entirely if he could uh, uh, if if he could get a cup ring of his own now. I don't know what you think about this. Chicago's a great building. I've been there. It's a really loud place. It's a great place to to watch a hockey game, but where were all the hats? I mean, you, you score a walk-off conference final hat-trick goal, and there's like nine hats on the ice. Like, what was up with that? Did you notice I, that? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say that, uh, you know, there was so much going on. You just watched your team uh, clinch its ticket to the Stanley Cup. There's probably a lot of people who were, you know, riding home with their hats on their heads going, oh, wait a second, that was a hat-trick goal, wasn't it? I probably should have uh, I probably should have tossed it out there, but... Uh, I don't know. I'd, uh, I, I, as a Leaf fan, I don't really know what that feeling is like. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I. I have to give them the benefit of the doubt. But uh, hopefully, I'll, I'll figure it out someday. But I'll, uh, yeah, I'll give the Chicago fans a pass on that one because they had, uh, they had a lot going on at that particular moment. Does it sound like you're kind of leaning towards Chicago then? Well, you know, and I, I, I said this to someone else. I, in my preseason, uh, or rather, my, my pre-playoff uh, picks, I had Boston. 
uh, as my cup winner. So, uh, you know, the, on the one hand, integrity says I got to stay with them. On the, on the flip side, I'm tempted to pick Chicago, and that way I can claim I'm right no matter what. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm at the end of the day, as, as, as much as it, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's never all that fun to pick the number one seed. I just, uh, I, I, I pick Chicago in a real tight series and a long series. And, uh, uh, you know, I see it going six or seven and, and probably a couple overtimes. And, and frankly, it'll probably be one of those series where we'll look back at the end of it. And instead of saying, oh, the best team won, we'll say, we still don't know who the best team was because uh, we we might need these teams to play uh, best of 17 to figure that out. But uh, it's uh, you know it'll it'll come down to the little breaks and the little bounces and all that stuff that usually determines a playoff series between two good teams. But uh, if if uh, if if I had to make my bet at this point, uh, I'd be uh, putting a few chips on Chicago. Two real quick ones, and we'll let you go. If you're Pittsburgh, do you move on from Dan Bausma? I don't. Uh, I'll, you know I. I understand where that's coming from and i understand that it's not like this is just one year that they've uh, uh that, that they haven't accomplished what they felt they should have in the playoffs but uh, i do think that there's a there's a real danger in hockey of overreacting to a small sample size and uh, i think uh, a week and a half ago we all thought pittsburgh was the envy of the entire league the best built uh, best built team and best run franchise in the league and to to react to four bad games uh, a couple of which weren't even all that bad uh, by by making major changes. Uh, it, it just strikes me as, as something that you, you might look back on as a bit of a panic move. If you're Colorado, as someone who has watched a lot of Memorial Cup the last couple weeks here, would you go Seth Jones round one, or would you go McKinnon, or what would you do? What that one one pick? Yeah, I man, I you know I love Seth Jones, although there there is that argument that's out there, and it makes a lot of sense that says when you have the chance. Uh, to draft elite talent at either forward or defense that you take the forward because you're going to reap the benefits quicker. There's there's less of a learning curve. You've got the possibility that, you know, you you draft an 18-year-old uh, stud forward. There's a chance that uh, two or three years into his career, uh, he'll be uh, he'll be on your first line. He'll be playing at an all-star caliber. And with defensemen, it's it's really tough to do that. I mean, obviously you get the the Drew Doughties of the world and others that have, that have. Um, but, uh, you know, boy, I'd, I'd say if I'm Colorado, the first thing I'm doing is I'm calling the teams at number two and three and saying, do you really love one of these guys enough to trade up and, and give us some additional assets? Uh, because uh, I, I don't feel like you can really go wrong with any of them. So if you can get more uh, and, and move down and, and still be happy with who you get, I, I think that'd be my first choice. Um, but if, if I didn't have that choice, you know, to be real honest, I think I'd go McKinnon at this point. All right, you can find Sean at DownGoesBrown.com. You can find his book, The Best of Down Goes Brown, at Amazon.com. For the Kindle, Nook, iBooks, it's out there all over. On Twitter, it's at DownGoesBrown. You can find him on Grantland and the National Post in Canada. Thank you so much for doing this today. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. All right, we want to thank Sean for being on the podcast today. Really interesting stuff there. Another Grantland guest for you. And I mentioned it to Sean, and it's interesting that two of the people that we've had, two of the kind of more contributors to Grantland in Tass Mellis and, and now Sean are, are Canadian guys. Oh, yeah. You know, it's nice to see a Grantland being an international, branching out and grabbing some. They just do a lot for hockey in general for 
a site started by a basketball guy. I know I know Simmons. He's uh, come around a bit the last yeah, few years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think the success of the Bruins and also live in L.A. and the success right. of the Kings has really helped bring him around a bit these last few playoffs. And I think that they're a site that works really hard to get the best at each sport. I think the sport that I read the least from there might be football. Yeah, I don't know that I've read anything of theirs in football either. You know what I mean? I, I I usually read Simmons' column each week, his picks column, which he's been basically, I think last year, he mostly did it in mailbag form, and I've always liked his mailbag columns. Mm-hmm. So I've read a lot of Simmons stuff and pertains to football in Grantland, but I haven't read their main football guy much. Anyway, last week uh, for the book club update being about not a book, as a, instead being <laughs> right. about a um, a project, a Kickstarter project, kickstarter.com. The project is a documentary from the producers of The King of Kong and Undefeated. We've been talking about it the last few weeks on the show, Finders Keepers. They have six days left, and they're at $66,407 out of 80000 They need to get that 100% mark to get anything. And I think I saw uh, a message from Zach earlier saying that they were at the 82% mark. Okay. So they got about... 18% left to go. That might be the hardest 18% to get. That last push. Kind of a cool thing during the week. They did get a tweet from Rain Wilson. Yeah. From the office. office right. Uh, Dwight. So kind of cool. He seems to be on board with the project. And they do have a lot of great things. Uh, we mentioned last week they got a Twitter going, at Leg in Grill, which right. we thought was a really cool Twitter handle, at Leg in Grill. And just seeing a Twitter like that makes me hope this film gets published or produced because it just seems like there could be some really interesting stuff. Uh, you go to kickstarter.com, you search for finders keepers and you can back the project anywhere from $1 up to I believe 10,000, <laughs> $10,000 pledge. Those are all gone actually. So you, the most you could pledge at this point is 6,500. You could probably pledge more, but maybe you'd only get the award for, uh, the highest tier available. Yeah, I wonder if you were like, screw it, I just want to put the last 18 grand on this. I wonder if you could do it. I don't know exactly how yeah, I'm not sure. Kickstarter works, but you can find the project at Leg and Grill on Twitter. You can find it on Facebook, facebook.com slash Finders Keepers Documentary. They've run some contests on there. Uh, they're doing some tweeting and just a big last push. I reached out to Zach to see if he wanted to come on in this segment and mention anything, but he's busy doing a bunch of stuff trying to, to achieve this last bit for the project. Uh, Ed Cunningham is a part of it. He's been on the show. So anything you think you might want to do to make this project a reality, please do it. Yeah. Isn't it wild? I mean, there is some precedent here that if this thing does get made, it could be, it's going to at least be looked at probably for Oscars based on yeah, based the guy on directing it. Yeah. How wild would it be that this thing, gets funded at the last second goes on to win an Oscar or something like that. And it was just as close to never even being made. So it's definitely an interesting story. So get out there and fund it. If you, I wonder what their plan, their plan B is like, I wonder if they have a plan B to say, if this doesn't work out or we're going to try this, it almost seems like this is the last gasp kind of a thing. So I don't know if they didn't get it, if that would mean the project's dead or what. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Hopefully, Hopefully you know, not. It's not a question you ask, I guess. Right. You know, I didn't say. So if this doesn't work out, <laughs> then what? But uh, yeah, like Don said, if you can do it, do it. Um, and uh, I think check out Kickstarter in general. I think it's something you like. 
All right, we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back and talk fantasy football with Michael Fabiano from the NFL Network and NFL.com. Our next guest is from Watertown, Connecticut, and is a graduate of Central Connecticut State. He is a member of the Fantasy Sports Trade Association Hall of Fame. In 2005, the Fantasy Sports Writers Association of America honored him for having the best series of columns about fantasy football. He has worked with the NFL Today on CBS and is the first fantasy analyst to appear on one of the four major networks. Today, he is the fantasy editor for NFL.com and the NFL Network. He is not an American operatic tenure, as we have established before. He likes to rock. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the great Michael Fabiano. What's up, Michael? What's going on, man? How are you? No, not bad. Not bad at all. You know, it's just, I don't know, something about June makes me start to think about fantasy football again. I was like, we've got to get him on, see what's going on, see what's new with the game, see what kind of stuff he's found with minicamp. So really excited to have you here today. Mm-hmm. Let's start with the game. What kind of new stuff can you tell us about? as we get ready to play fantasy football on NFL.com this year? Well, I think the most exciting thing is the fact that we've completely rehauled our mobile apps, and so those are going to be uh, even more user-friendly than they were in the past. Uh, you're going to be able to see all of our content, cheat sheets, anything and everything, and uh, that's, that, that's, a, that's been a big initiative. Uh, Full iPad off-season. support? Is it a native iPad app as well, or is it is it just an iPhone? No, Android no, app? you can you can download it on iPad as well. iPad, okay, sweet. Yep. And um, in terms of the game itself, we've got new player cards, uh, which have more information, video. Um, we're also going to have more and better fantasy player news updates this season. There's going to be more statistical research tabs and applications that people are going to be able to utilize when they're looking to draft their teams, pick starters, bench players during the regular season. And, of course, we also have one of the most comprehensive, if not the most comprehensive, draft kit on the World Wide Web, and it is available right now at nfl.com slash fantasy slash draft kit. Are you guys doing a magazine this year? We we haven't done a magazine for the last couple of seasons, right. and we are not doing one again. The lockout kind of killed the fantasy it, magazine, huh? It, yeah, I mean, those magazines become so outdated so yeah. quickly, and it just makes more sense, at least to me, to give people the exact same information except for you have it on on your computer, or if you have the iPad, you have it right there in front of you, and um, it's up-to-date Whereas the magazines, once they go to press, you clearly can't update them anymore. Right. Yeah, it seems like when the lockout happened, nobody did a magazine that year, and it seems like most people just kind of like killed it. Like, that was it then. You know what I mean? Like, uh, we didn't do it last year. Everyone got through. We're not mm-hmm. going to do it this year. And like you said, it makes so much more sense with being able to update it constantly. As right, exactly. To, as opposed to just that one uh, in June or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. So everything free again? Is there any kind of premium yep. services or anything like that, or is it just- everything is free? Uh, you can play for free. You can customize your league. Nothing about that has changed at all. So uh, no fees, nothing like that. What about fantasy on the network and on the website in terms of 
columns and features and I know you guys are doing a podcast and mm-hmm. what kind of things are you going to be doing to for the fantasy player across the platforms of the NFL Network and NFL.com? Well, uh, Adam Rank and I have been doing fantasy segments on NFL AM throughout the offseason. We've also been doing uh, fantasy fisticuffs, which are sort of debates on, on the value of different players. Uh, I've been doing quite a bit of stuff for Total Access, especially now with our 32-team, 32-days feature uh, that's going on right now on NFL.com. And we actually just did a fantasy draft kit release show special last week, which is probably the earliest fantasy football programming has ever aired on the NFL Network. As far as I can remember, that was an hour show last week. You can find clips of that uh, and the show in its entirety. at NFL.com, and we are starting earlier this season than we ever have. There's going to be a couple of more fantasy draft kit shows. I believe one will be in July, one will be in August, and then I don't have a concrete date on when the NFL Fantasy Live show will start, but I believe it will start at some point in the middle of August. And then we will also have a fantasy draft week uh, in New York City with details uh uh, still to be determined, but uh, definitely keep your eye on that. And you're going to be able to find out information on that at NFL.com uh, throughout the next few months of the summer. You know, one thing that I always like to track during the preseason in terms of fantasy is what rookies are going to have an impact. Because sometimes mm-hmm. some rookies, like Alfred Morris last year is a good example, of someone that you can get really late and he can change your whole season you know, as you get going. And, and even Doug Martin is a guy who you didn't have to draft too terribly early last year that was really valuable, especially right. in that kind of middle part of the season. But when you look back at the draft this year, so many tackles and guards and defensive ends. Is this a weaker kind of rookie crop as far as fantasy? Is, are you going to really have to study and find the, 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 the gems this year, the, the Morris types? It's definitely not as attractive as the class from last season. You're you're not going to get three quarterbacks in their first year finishing the top 11 in fantasy points uh, as you did last year with Robert Griffin III and Russell Wilson and Andrew Luck. That's simply not going to happen at that position. Doug Martin finished second in fantasy points last year running back. Um, That is quite a feat for a rookie. You also had Trent Richardson up there, and you mentioned Alfred Morris. All of those guys finished in the top 10. Probably not going to see that again this year, but it doesn't mean that there aren't good options like Le'Veon Bell in Pittsburgh and Monte Ball uh, in Denver and Tavon Austin in St. Louis. The quarterbacks, E.J. Manuel likely to start the season second on the depth chart behind Kevin Cobb. Geno Smith, even if he does beat Mark Sanchez out for the top spot on the depth chart in New York, not expecting him to do a whole heck of a lot, at least not enough where he's going to be a viable guy to, to draft in your fantasy league. And part of the reason is the quarterback position is just so deep this year that it makes it really hard to advise someone to take a chance on a Geno Smith when you've got some leagues out there where Tony Romo, Matthew Stafford, uh, and Michael Vick are all going to be backups. And there's, there's upside with those players. They could be big draft bargains. And that's the reason why a Geno Smith, assuming he starts. Even a Ryan Tannehill, who's really had a major improvement in what kind of talent he has around him in Miami. These guys are, are barely even draftable in most 10-team leagues because the quarterback position is just rock solid. One of the cool rules in one of my leagues is instead of picking out 
you know, when you, when you when you do draft order, instead of just if you're the first name out, you get the first pick. You actually get to pick where you want to pick, like a Kentucky Derby mm-hmm. style thing. In mm-hmm. your opinion, what's is number one obviously the most valuable draft pick, or is it maybe like picking third and having a you know a quicker pick in round two? Or what spot would you most want to draft this year in round one? I'd rather be in the middle. I've always rather uh, rather be in the middle because. If I pick number one, okay, well, I'm going to get Arian Foster, uh, or a lot of people think Adrian Peterson is number one pick. You can't go wrong with either or. Right. But then you're waiting so long for your second and third picks. I'd rather sit right in the middle. Give me a pick at number five, somewhere there, where I'm going to get a Ray Rice or a Marshawn Lynch uh, with one of those uh, with one of those picks in the middle, and then I can come back around in the second round and probably get one of the top five wide receivers probably not going to get a Calvin Johnson or a Brandon Marshall, but A.J. Green could be there. Uh, that's where I prefer to pick because I don't want to be waiting too long in between selections, which means first round, uh, first pick, or obviously late in the, in the first round because you do go back-to-back there, but then you have a long wait in between picks again. Do you have a specific strategy this year that you're going to try to implement when you go to draft? Is there going to be, are you like, I have to go running back in round one or maximum value or best player? What what thing are you going to try to focus on when you do your drafts here in the next few months? Uh, all drafts are different, but you will not see me draft a quarterback before round five in any league unless the rest of the people in my league go quarterback crazy and Tony Rome was the best available quarterback in round four, which is not going to happen. So I am not taking a quarterback before the fifth round, and I actually prefer to take one after round six, uh, maybe seven or eight. I'll get Matt Ryan. I'll get Romo. I'll be Stafford. Uh, I'll get someone like Stafford, and I'll be fine. And I'm just loading up on running backs and wide receivers uh, as much as I possibly can in those first five, six, seven rounds. Uh, those are, the, to me, the most important positions to build depth in. Uh, they're the most important positions to focus on in the first five or six rounds because of one, one thing, the, the top players there at those positions are more at a premium. And number two, uh, I mean, Tony Romo and, and uh, Matt Stafford, you know, people think they're coming off of mediocre seasons. Well, I mean, Romo was eighth in fantasy points last year. I mean, <laughs> you can't complain about that. Right. Stafford still threw for almost 5,000 yards. His quarterback, uh, his touchdowns dropped, but I think he'll see at least a little bit of a rise in touchdown passes this season. It's all about grabbing a bargain. Uh, Matt Ryan's another perfect example. Uh, Matt Ryan was one of the top quarterbacks in fantasy based on points, and I drafted him in a mock draft in the ninth round uh, last month. I will take that value all day long. I'd rather wait on quarterbacks and go after my running backs and wide receivers early. And, of course, you fill out your offensive skill positions before you even think about a kicker or a defense. You know, one of the, one of the things that I, I like about usually playing in four to six leagues a year is the unique person, the different personalities that each league has, the kind of wrinkles. Like, I've, I've been in leagues where they've done things like, the guy you draft in the fifth round the year before is someone you can keep different kind of wrinkles with keepers, you know, different mm-hmm. ways to keep score. What are some things that you really like to do in your games that make the leagues that you're in unique that you really enjoy things that some of our listeners might be able to incorporate into their leagues and improve their experience? Are you just a well, traditionalist? Nah, you know, um, I play in a bunch of different leagues. I have one keeper league where you lose the round of the, uh, of the player that you keep, in terms of where he was selected the previous year, and if that player was 
a waiver wire pickup, for example, say like an Alfred Morris, well, then you would start by losing a fourth round pick or a fifth round pick or a sixth round pick, depending on who else you kept. So that's fun. And that's also a league where you have to throw guys back into the pool of available players after a couple of years. This way, if someone has Adrian Peterson, they can't keep them for the entirety of the, of the league. You have to mix things up, which is always fun. And for me, in terms of scoring, you know, a lot of people just do standard scoring, which is fine, but I love mixing things up a little bit. I want to give receivers, tight ends, and running backs points for catches. So if a wide receiver has seven catches for, say, 69 yards, in a standard league, you only get 6.9 fantasy points for that. But this guy was involved in the offense much more than that. Uh, so giving him points for catches, I think, just makes that player even more valuable or rewards the player for all the contributions that he made on the field. Another thing I like to do is I take away return yards from defensive special teams and I give those to the player. So if Reggie Bush returns a kick 75 yards for a touchdown, well, the Lions defensive special team doesn't get that, those points. It's Reggie Bush. He's the one who deserves them. He's the one who, who made the play. So in order to sort of even things out there, I will add a couple of different categories to special teams. Um, so those are kind of the the, the quirks uh, that I like to incorporate into my scoring systems because I want my fantasy football to at least be scored uh, as closely as possible to uh, what's going on out there on the football field. Yeah, I almost don't even want to play in a league that isn't PPR at this point. I, I just... I prefer yeah. it so much more for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, the quarterbacks, I keep them at the four-point level for touchdown passes because that position is just going to be more valuable by nature, uh, by the nature of the position. And a lot of people don't like that, but I just think that when you give six points for a passing touchdown to a quarterback, it just it, it, it overvalues that position just so, so much, especially now in this day and age. A few minutes left here with Michael Fabiano, the main man at fantasy football over at NFL Network and NFL.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Michael Fabiano, Michael underscore Fabiano. Um, NFL.com has the draft kits up, as he mentioned earlier, really some, some great stuff there. During the rest of the offseason, I know mini camps are going on kind of now last week. We're going to get into training camps next month. Is there any specific things you're going to be tracking, any position battles, any guys you want to track? What are some things that are going to keep you interested uh, in terms of pre- preparing for your drafts here in the next couple of weeks to months of the off season, and man, I'm paying attention to everything. <laughs> I got to pay attention to just about everything that goes on. Uh, you know, off the top of my head, the running back situation in St. Louis is intriguing. Uh, Isaiah Pete is going to be suspended for the first game, but is he the favorite to start, or is it Daryl Richardson? Once those two guys are, are are on the field together, that's a good question. Not really sure about that, but a potential sleeper could come out. Uh, of that situation, so I, I think the the situation there is certainly one to watch. Uh, I also really am interested to see who Colin Kaepernick's going to throw the football to. Is it going to be Anquan Bolden? Is it going to be Vernon Davis? Is it going to be uh, is AJ Jenkins going to going to suddenly come out and, and and make some sort of impact? So I'm pretty interested in that situation. Also the injury situations. Rob Gronkowski's coming off of right. uh, all of these yeah. forearm surgeries. He's going to have back surgery. You also have uh, Trent Richardson not coming off of surgery, but he's been nicked up, it seems, this offseason, and he's not going to be back until training camp or potentially August, so you've got to keep tabs on that. You also need to keep tabs uh, uh, you know, on, on situations where 
uh, Arian Foster injured his calf, and he may not be back until training camp. And, and in fact, that's exactly what uh, is being is being reported that he's not going to be back for training camp. So you've got to keep tabs on on him as well. Also, you want to keep tabs on these players who are in new places this season, like Mike Wallace and Chris Ivory uh, and Reggie Bush, you know, just to name a few, and see exactly how they're being incorporated into the offensive attack. And th- there's a lot to remember there, but that's just a very small sort of uh, Cliff Notes version of what you need to be keeping tabs on because there's still a lot going on around the National Football League that we don't know the answers to. Is Morris Jones-Drew going to come back at 100%? There's reports now that uh, we're not even sure if he's going to be ready for training camp. There's a lot going on, and uh, the, the closer you keep tabs to these situations and, and many more around the league, the better prepared you're going to be to draft a, a solid championship-caliber fantasy team. Yeah, I'm really curious about Chris Ivory. I mean, I've seen every carry he's made in the National Football League just because I'm a big Saints fan, and I always felt like he just made stuff happen when he got the ball. He didn't get it enough to make a real impact in fantasy, but he's mm-hmm. a guy in New York that I just think with they're going to want to run the ball as much as they can. I, I love Ivory this year. Yeah, I really and, like him uh, The reason why is that, uh, and I actually I'm just writing some stuff for the, for the Jets for my total access segment, and that team is horrible from a fantasy perspective. I mean, they have nothing except for Chris Ivory. Yep. Last year, they had nothing except for Sean Green, and Sean Green was really inconsistent. Uh Three or four of his games were huge, and he was very inconsistent in a bunch of others. But he still finished 15th in fantasy points among running backs. I think Chris Ivory is a more talented running back than Sean Green, and I think he can he can finish 15th uh, you know, at worst. Uh, I think he could be even better. He's a bruiser. Uh, he's going to get goal line work. Who knows what the situation is with Mike Goodson because he had some off-field problems recently. As long as he stays healthy, which is the one thing that concerns me about Chris Ivory, if he can stay healthy... This guy can rush for 1,200 yards and eight touchdowns easily, easily in that offense. I could do this all day, but we've got to let you go because you're a busy guy. Um, last thing, I got to go to see Scab Guns N' Roses on Wednesday. Who They randomly decided to play a one-off here in Buffalo. No idea why, <laughs> but uh, I went and checked it out. I had a good time. I mean, it was what it was. Someone made a great point. They're like, if there was a, cover, a Guns N' Roses cover band, playing in Buffalo, I might go and check it out and have fun. If they said mm-hmm. Axl Rose was singing for that band, I'd pay 40 bucks to see it. And I was like, that's a great point, you know? And yep. it's only the second time that Axl Rose ever performed in Buffalo, so why not? You know, a nice night out on the water. And uh, it was a great show. But I'm just wondering, any what what's on your summer concert lineup this summer? Anything fun? You doing anything this summer? Uh, no no concerts lined up yet. I've been, I've been waiting to hear what's going on with Van Halen because Van Halen went on tour and then... Canceled it. What, Whatever happened, right. it got canceled, and uh, that's like the one band that I really want to see. And I never saw Van Halen with with uh, David Lee Roth, so I'd really like to see that. Uh, I'd love to see that show. So I'm I'm sort of waiting to see what happens. I'm not a huge concert goer like I once was. I'm an old man now, man. I'm right. gonna be forty this year. No, I hear you. <laughs> so I'm not as big of a concert goer uh, as some, but yeah, Van Halen would definitely be right there near the top of my list of of bands that I would want to go and see. Man, and remember too, all the bands that I like. They're playing like clubs. They're playing, you know, they're playing high school graduations, you know, <laughs> except for, you know, crew. But, uh, you know, even even Warrant, I mean, I, I've seen Warrant so many times. You know, it's not the same now that Janie Lane's gone. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind going and seeing them again. But they're always, like, in these small clubs, and it's packed, and it's just, 
not my deal, man. I'd rather, I'd rather go someplace where it's, uh, you know, where, where I'm going to go to Staples and go see VH or something like that. Uh, that whole sort of intimate setting to me is just, it's just smoke and noise and mess, and I'd rather, I'd rather, you know, do it in a bigger venue. Wouldn't it be but, so? Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, wouldn't it be so great if your favorite band was playing Fenway that, or uh, Wrigley Field this year? Oh man, I'm actually going to Chicago uh, in a couple of days here for uh, Fantasy Sports Trade Association, and um, yeah, outdoor venues are cool too. You know, like I don't know if you've ever been to Hollywood Bowl. That's a great venue to go see a concert. It's outdoors, beautiful setting. It's nice. So um, the show is, you know, the show is great, especially if you're a fan of the band. But also, you know, the venue and where you're seeing it too uh, makes a difference as well. Well, I got Pearl Jam number seven, my seventieth at Wrigley, and seventy-one in London, Ontario. Wait, wait, December. you've seen Pearl Jam seventy times? Well, sixty-nine so far, but it's gonna be wow. seventy and seventy-one. Yeah, my first one was October first, nineteen ninety-six, in Buffalo, and I went to twelve in two thousand, and twelve in two thousand and three, and. Jeez. See now, I uh, the most I've ever seen one band is Warrant, and I've seen them like seven or eight times. So you're sixty-nine. That has me be. Don't you get bored seeing the same thing over and over again, well, or no? I mean, like, okay, so probably my second favorite band is Rush, right? So I've seen them mm-hmm. about nine times, and that's enough for me because every tour it's one show. But with right. Pearl Jam, you know, to really like take in the tour, you have to see three or four because otherwise you're not really seeing what they're playing because their shows are so varied every night, mm-hmm. you know. And oh, that's I gotcha. that's the appeal of it. And there's like, like basically, it's like. When this comes up, it's like Pearl Jam, Springsteen, and Fish, and Dave Matthews Band are like the four bands that are known to like that one show isn't the same every night. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I guess that's the appeal. And I just love Pearl Jam. I mean, way more than any other band. So Yeah, see, my thing this summer is uh, I'm going to see the Yankees there because that's my, that's my, yeah, my I'm MLB going to Yankees team. and Mets. First time at the new stadiums in July. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah I've, uh, I'm going to see them this weekend against the Angels, and then I've got. Tickets for all three games down in San Diego when they play the Padres because they very rarely ever play the Padres and Petco's a nice, a nice park. So uh, I'm going to be going to some baseball games, uh, and have some fun there. I just pray that you know the one thing I want with the Yankees game is to get to see R- Rivera. You know, because it's yep. going to be my last chance because I don't think I'm going to make it to another Yankees game. Then you know, it's actually July 6th, I think, to see the Mets on the fourth and the Yankees on the sixth. So, mm-hmm. but you must be pumped about the way the Yankees are playing. Yeah, the, way above I, I thought they were going to be an 85 yeah. win team this year. I was uh, moping around preseason, thinking, "Oh, this team is just going to stink." They've done well. We'll see what happens with uh, you know if Jeter comes back um, and uh, A Rod. Although at this point, I'd prefer A Rod didn't come back because right. um, he's just too much drama. Yeah, and they're also going to hopefully get back Michael Pineda and Granderson will be back and. We shall see what happens. All right, it's at Michael underscore Fabiano on Twitter, NFL.com for all the great stuff you mentioned earlier. Anything else you want our listeners to know about finding you in fantasy football across your platforms? Nah, I would just say always come back to NFL.com slash fantasy for daily fantasy updates. We we update everything uh, as needed daily. Uh, Marcus Grant, who's my new fantasy editor over here, writes a blog every single day. Uh, check out Adam Rank and I on NFL Network. And uh, prepare yourself for uh, the 2013 fantasy season because he is getting here quick, real got, quick. You got to do me a favor too. You got to snipe some pictures of Dave's mustache when it grows in, and and send. Them you know, I, I I tweeted out the Raleigh Fingers baseball card picture. He I needs to that, go yeah. with the Raleigh Fingers look. 
and uh, I, I have yet to see him in the office. I'm sure I'll see him at some point today or tomorrow, but uh, that that was a painful loss for him. Not only does he have to grow a mustache, but his team uh, oh, didn't even show up. No. no, it was rough. Didn't even show up. That was rough. All right, thanks so yeah. much for doing this. I really appreciate it. You got it, man. Take Th- care. Thank you. All right, big ups to Sean McIndoe and Michael Fabiano, Sean from Grantland and at Down Down Goes Brown, and Fabiano, of course, from the NFL Network and NFL.com for being on the show today. Uh, Don't forget to check out our past episodes, including Season 3, Episode 14, with interviews from Jeff Passan of Yahoo Sports and Malcolm Kelly, former Washington Redskin and Oklahoma Sooner. You can find that at our website, www.sports-casters.com, on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. You can find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters and on Facebook, facebook.com slash sportscasters. And you can email us to sportscasters at gmail.com. One last piece of business today, and that's one last thing. All right, one more thing from me. E3 is going on, the Electronic Entertainment Expo, I believe is what it stands for. And uh, I'm kind of a casual gamer, especially console gamer. I tend to play more PC games, but I get so excited every year when E3 comes around, and this year's no exception. I own a PS3, but I think I own three games for it, something, not not many games at all, but I'm super excited for the PS4, maybe just because of the dollar amount it costs. It's going to come out soon, I think, the pre-orders are already being taken on Amazon, and it's already the number one selling console. They said holiday time, right? It's like three ninety nine for the, a brand new console. That's cheaper than their last six hundred, which is to start. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Uh, but also, uh, the Wii U, which has been out for a little bit, hasn't really moved my needle too much. But I am a Nintendo fanboy a little bit, and they announced Mario Kart Eight and Super Smash Brothers, and uh, Mega Man's going to be in Super Smash Brothers, and. Microsoft showcased Plants vs. or it might have been EA showcased Plants vs. Zombies two and a new Plants vs. Zombies game called Garden Warfare. So all these little things had me really excited. And uh, my birthday's coming up, so if I get any cash, I might go make a big dumb purchase of either a Wii U or a PS4. Now, as far you said, you have a PS3 and you don't play many games. Yeah, is that your main Blu-ray player though? Yes, it is. Yeah. I, I would never tell people I regret that decision. It's my home media player. I've used it in the past for Netflix. I use it for Blu-rays. Uh, whatever, playing CDs, anything like that. Uh, it's not always just about the game. Streaming stuff right. from my PC to my PlayStation is pretty simple. That stuff's all pretty awesome. So if the PS4 is just more of the same with cool... There just hasn't been games that draw me away from my computer. Uh, I think one of the games I got was Red Dead Redemption, which I liked. I never finished, but I did like that. And I actually want to get uh, one of the last titles that they're making, like, first what do they call it? Like first party titles is this game called last of us, which is kind of like a post apocalyptic zombie survival game, which is up my alley. So I'm going to actually probably go out and buy that. So as the console is kind of finishing its run, I'll, I'll get my fourth game finally for it. But yeah, it has me excited for the PS4. If they got some games out there that I want to buy, I might go out and get one. And they also announced that they're going to be doing some first run entertainment. Oh, okay. Exclusive to the yeah, I didn't sort of that. like how Netflix has done sure. some shows, the one with uh, Kevin Spacey and then Rest the Development, Rest development yep. stuff that Sony obviously has a tie-in with Sony, which is right, one of the right. studios, and that they're going to do some stuff that will 
exclusively be streamed through PS4. Yeah. And it's Xbox- also a really sharp-looking machine, too. I mean, it looks just yeah. beautiful. Xbox One also got announced that it's kind of getting killed because of the price point and some of the DRM always online and not being able to trade the games at all yeah there's a there's a funny protection type thing that they have going on there where you have to like pay a fee to unlock like games are tied to the console which is kind of the way actually pc games work right now pc games don't pc gamers don't seem to hate that but for me i think the difference is i think the console is a more in-person uh with friends experience yeah how many times you went over to a friend's house played a video game for a few hours and said hey can i borrow that for a few days right that that to me is where the console shines the multi like in-person multiplayer i guess is what i was getting at things like mario party are great and uh yeah playing madden or nhl with four people in the room that stuff works online but i think it's the best in person whereas the pc the multiplayer i think really shines yeah and actually online the day madden comes out you buy it and you can't go over your friend's house to play it Right, or if you do, then you're going to have you're to... Then you're locked into playing it there. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of crazy. So, yeah, they're getting beat up for that. And, like, there's, like, a Connect always-on feature. Like, Connect is required for the Xbox One, so... How would you rank the three systems in terms of their announced, the next-gen systems? I know the well, Nintendo the, ones are already The Wii U has right? been out, and yeah. it was a little slow, and their problem is always third-person support. And I guess there was some cool third-person titles, but nothing... Uh, they're all new brands so i i can't comment on that yet but i love the zelda brand which they still haven't announced the zelda game yet i've loved the mario stuff and they do have a new mario out which looks really cool too so that's what gets me excited for the nintendo is the the first person titles and if usually their price point is right like the wii the the wii the first wii was like 250 at launch yeah this is a little pricier so if it's still 350 i might just get the ps4 but if this drops to like 250 or so, then maybe I'll get a Wii U. All right, very good. One last thing for the show today. While Don has a big conference going on, also Apple <laughs> has its uh, worldwide developer conference going on in San Francisco, and they kicked that conference off yesterday with some announcements that have me fairly excited. No big hardware announcements as far as iPhone and iPad, but they did announce a new Mac Pro which is their kind of highest-end computer. Uh, It's got a real kind of crazy-looking design and um, much smaller than the original one, but probably a computer that's over my head in terms of price and what it does and what I need. Right. Probably not a computer I would ever buy. It's cool that it's out there for the people that need it, and it's definitely a system that they needed to update, so I'm glad for the people who use it that they finally did. Uh, Some cool things that they announced. The biggest thing is iOS 7. Uh, one thing that they made a point, which kind of shocked me, is over 93% of iPhone or iPad users or iPod users, because iPod Touch is still out there, 93% of them still are using the latest, the iOS 6 version of the software. Over, only 7% use an out-of-date version of the software, whereas okay. with the Android, it's super split. Which has got to be really frustrating really for people out. who develop apps. Yeah, I, I don't know. It is I really think that spread the out. Highest, they said the highest operating system in use was put out in 2010, hmm. which seems kind of crazy to me. And they kind of totally rebuilt iOS 7. It looks really slick and some really cool things, but it's really hard to judge an, an operating system until you have it on your phone and you're using it. But definitely some cool features, and I think that the the coolest feature is iRadio or 
I don't know. Maybe they didn't go with iRadio ultimately. Like a Pandora's radio, thing? they called it, which is very similar to a Pandora and seems like it will probably knock Pandora pretty much off the map. I was kind of hoping it'd be a little bit closer to an Apple version of Spotify, but it's probably mm-hmm. more of an Apple version of Pandora. Uh, they also announced a new version of the desktop operating system. It's called Mavericks OS X Mavericks, and uh, that has some really nice things. Both of these, unfortunately, aren't coming out till the fall. Maybe an underrated version of something they announced is a web version of their iWork suite, which is Pages, Keynote, and Numbers. But also, right from a web browser on a Mac without owning Word, you can edit and publish you can edit a word document so if you email me a word document i can now open it in my web browser and edit it and update it and change it and send it back to you uh without having to have microsoft word oh that's cool yeah which seemed really cool and just all the things you can do right in a web browser uh just seems really great for that so maybe not the most exciting wwdc announcement just because there's no new ipad or no new iphone or no new crazy innovation so to speak uh but still a pretty solid effort and looking forward to the fall and having ios 7 and uh, oss x mavericks Stop. 